you almost have to be a magician to find thanksgiving in the verses that I'm going to look at today, but I did find it. So it's there. So take a Bible, we're continuing our series in the book of Acts, and turn to chapter 6, and we're going to be covering verses 1 through 7 today. And before I read those verses with you, I want to summarize some of the ground that we've already covered. And I can do that in just a couple of minutes. Jesus says that the early church needed the anointing of the Holy Spirit, right? So at the end of the Gospel of Luke and at the beginning of the book of Acts, he says, wait for this precious gift from heaven. Now we say the most precious gift heaven could give is Jesus, which is true. But heaven also gave another precious gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Both are members of the Godhead. So these are tremendous gifts that God is, is giving to the church. And so most of you remember that on the day of Pentecost in chapter 2 of Acts, the Holy Spirit fell. Amazing things happened, signs, wonders, miracles, people getting converted all over the place, people being healed, and so on and so forth. And this this uh, growth of the church, this, this theme of the growth of the church carries through. But of course, somebody is not happy with this, this uh, prosperity of the church. Who's that? We know heaven's happy, but Satan's not happy. And so he used three methods. We're going to deal with the third one today to disrupt this growth, this harmony, this beautiful picture of the church that we find in the early chapters of the book of Acts. Physical persecution came in pretty quickly. We've covered some of that. And then through Ananias and Sapphira, he wanted to hurt the church through dishonesty and deceit. Today we're going to see in these seven verses that he, in his strategy, he tries to distract the leadership of the church from doing the work that God had called them to do. Now we're going to look at two works today that are both equally important. So in everything I say as we work our way through these verses, we're not trying to say that preaching and teaching and prayer is more important than socially taking care of the widows. I don't believe the passage is saying that, and I don't believe that God's Word teaches that. All ministries are really, really important. So if you have a medical ministry, is that less important than a ministry of preaching the Word? I don't think so. I think that would be very, very hard to try and make that distinction in the Word, word of God. And we're going to see a problem a new problem for the church, a kind of nice problems. I mean, there's bad problems and there's good problems. Which do you want in your life? Do you want the bad problems or do you want the good ones? What do you want in your church family? Now, it says there, take a Bible, let's get into the Word. Chapter 5, and I'll give you the page reference for that. Acts chapter 5 or chapter 6 rather, sorry, that's page 1700, 1700. 
It says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, I'm going to stop right there. And I'm going to do something that the apostles would have liked. I'm going to pray. And I've already given you the first problem. Have you seen it? You've not seen it. Go back to what I just read. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, there's the first problem. Chapter 6, verse 1. Let's pray. Gracious God, as we open your word, we invite the presence of your Holy Spirit to continue to dwell with us, to open our minds and hearts. Challenge each one of us, Lord, to find our place in your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what's the first problem? It's hard to think of it as a problem, a challenge. The church is growing. Praise God. And you'll be amazed at how many times Luke the historian mentions church growth. Many, many times. I have them all listed in my notes. When, when something very important happens in the early church, he mentions this idea of God's kingdom, the church growing. So, logistical problems are arising. And that shouldn't be hard for us to understand. If this church grew tenfold in six months, you'll realize why we have five acres. Right? Nice problem to have. But pastor, we don't have the money to put up a new building. I know we don't. But God has sent us all these people. What are we going to do? Turn them away? So we're going to see that the problem, the challenge, the difficulty, it's mentioned right here at the beginning of this chapter. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now, when we hear talk about the Jews in the Bible, we all have a mental image of what that means. But not all Jews are alike. Here we have a group called Grecian Jews. This is the NIV translation. It's a good translation because it's, it's telling us not just that they spoke Greek, but they're from a Greek culture. They think like Greeks, but they're Jews. So many of the, many of the aspects of Judaism they're going to retain, but they're going to approach Judaism different than native Jews. Do you remember in Acts chapter 2 when, when uh, we had believers coming from all over the world, or Jews coming from all over the world? I shouldn't say believers. Yes, they were believers, but not necessarily in the, the life and death of the Lord Jesus Christ. But they came from all over the world to celebrate. You remember that? In the day of Pentecost. Uh, it's one of the feast days, and, and they're all celebrating at this time. This is a high day. So you had Grecian Jews, and, but then you had native Jews who were called Hebraic Jews, Jews that lived right there in Jerusalem. So you have the insiders, and in a sense, you have the outsiders. And the text is saying that the outsiders' widows, because many of these people would get converted on the day of Pentecost, men and women, and that it presented logistical challenges. I don't think for a minute there is no suggestion to me that the leadership of the church, the apostles, are prejudiced against these Grecian Jews. I don't think that's there at all. I just think they were overwhelmed. 
I think they were overwhelmed with the circumstances, whether they're giving money, whether they're giving them food, whatever the widows needed, these leaders of the church are overwhelmed with their responsibility. And it's causing complaining and murmuring. Do you remember when we, we read in the Old Testament about the, the Israelites in the desert griping and complaining and murmuring? That's the same word that is used. Now, this seems to be a legitimate complaint. Wouldn't you agree? If we're all one in Christ, if we're all equal in the church, you can't have Hebraic Jews first class and Grecian Jews second class. So I don't think that's there. They're all, they're all equal, certainly in God's sight, but they had a legitimate complaint, these Grecian widows, that they weren't, their needs were not being met. They probably didn't have relatives to take care of them. We don't know all the issues that happened when you believed in Jesus Christ in a Jewish society, but it probably put you in a difficult spot in many, many cases. So here's the complaint, and verse 2 and onwards gives us um, a solution. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Who were the disciples here? Who were the disciples here? Yes, the believers. We're not talking now about the twelve who we normally call disciples, right? We're talking a usage of the word that's, that's kind of getting broader. The believers, anyone that believes in Jesus, Jew, Grecian Jew, Hebraic Jew, these are the disciples. So let's assume that this is a fairly large group, group of people, the twelve gathered, uh, many of these disciples together, all of them, don't know how many of that was, and they said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. So why had they been doing that? I would suggest they got distracted. I think it's a ploy of Satan to get them to lose their focus. It's very easy for a leader to lose focus, especially if there's a legitimate issue like loads of people joining the church who need to be taken care of. But if God has gifted these apostles to preach, teach, and pray, that's what they should be doing, right? So they were doing a good thing when they should be doing a different good thing. I don't want to say a better thing, because I think that would give you the wrong impression. Both are legitimate ministries. Both are important ministries. Both ministries need to be done. And so they've realized now, hopefully they've realized, maybe they're close to the Holy Spirit, and they realize Satan's up to something here. We've kind of lost focus. It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. Why is that important? Because you don't want leaders in the church that are not Spirit-anointed people. Spirit-anointed people should be able to get along with one another. And God is going to be able to guide them the right way. Wisdom, of course, is a great gift. And later it will talk of Stephen as, as, and others of having this wisdom. So we will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Now, 
Here's something. Don't you find this interesting? Well, here's something a little bit more interesting, perhaps. At least it was for me. In verse 1 and in verse 4, it has in the Greek, the Greek language, which your translation was taken from, it has the word we use for deacons. So if I said to you, now, so now you're looking in the text saying, well, where does it say deacons? And it's going to give you other words for that. So in verse 1, when it says the daily distribution of the food, I believe it is, I have it in my notes, and in verse 4, we will give our attention to prayer and ministry of the word. The, the, the deacon word that is used there will give it a different translation. And we'll call it service. I don't want to use the word ministry, even though that's a legitimate word, because you're going to think of ministry as preaching, teaching, and prayer. So let's use the word service. So when the apostles are preaching, teaching, and praying, they are doing Deconia, whatever the word, however it's pronounced, they are doing the work of service. Okay? But when, when these seven are socially administrating and taking care of the widows, they are also, same word, doing the work of service. Two different forms of service, I would claim both equally important. And when the right people are doing what they're gifted for and what they're called to do, then the church prospers. It says here in verse 5, here's our Thanksgiving uh, theme today. It's amazing what we can get out of the Word of God, isn't it? This proposal pleased the whole group. So they're celebrating. Heaven is rejoicing. They're back on track. The apostles are doing what they're called to do. The seven are doing what they're called to do, whether we want to call them deacons or not. I don't know if we need to do that. Many, many people do see the beginning of the work of deacons right here in these verses, even though it doesn't actually specifically say that. It just says the apostles were doing service, they were doing their deacon work, if we want to think of it that way. And the seven were doing their deacon work, if you want to think of it that way. Think of it in terms of service. God gives His gifts as He sees fit. God calls us to different roles of service. And I would suggest to you that the service of, of medicine, the service of apostleship, the service of the seven, the service of taking care of widows. It's all service. And it will all advance God's kingdom and the church will grow if we are all doing what God has called us to do in the way that He has called us to do it. God's Word will increase. So it says in verse 5, they chose a man called who? Now Stephen is going to be very important in chapter 5, 6, and 7. So, this is Luke's very smooth transition here, bringing in this important man, Stephen. He was a man full of faith 
and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, some of these other men besides Philip, we're not sure who they were. Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Uh, something, when it says they laid their hands on them, it's reminding us of the ministry of Jesus. I have no problem with that. Jesus specifically says many times in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus laid hands, Jesus touched people, and so on and so forth. And I do see, I do see, excuse me, I do see the book of Acts that very way. It's a continuation of the ministry of Jesus. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, He will glorify me. He will speak of me. He will bring to mind the things that I have said to you. Jesus is in bodily form in heaven. The Holy Spirit is in spirit form throughout this world, probably throughout the whole universe. But it's all continuing the work of Jesus. So when you and I complain, even if it's a legitimate complaint, we have to try and do it in a way that's not going to divide. Right? I see this as a legitimate complaint. But it had the potential of splitting the church right down the middle when the church is just trying to get off the ground and grow the way that God wants it to grow. So the Word of God spread. Is the Word of God spreading in, a, in this area, in Anderson, in Cottonwood, in Reading? Are we all doing what God has called us to do? Well, He hasn't called us all to preach, teach, and pray, has He? Now, you have to kind of think about that a little bit because we're going to see next week this man, Stephen, is multi multifaceted man. He's more than what you would think a, de a deacon would do. But hey, you have deacons who are evangelists, preachers, teachers. So, but here we see them in the context of social administration. But we don't want to conclude because they are obviously gifted to do that and called to do that that they're not able to do many other aspects of service or ministry too. So the Word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. That's an amazing thing when you see how slow the growth was in a place like Jerusalem with all this bitterness against Jesus and against uh, the early church. And a large number of priests. Isn't that interesting? Now, if you've been reading the book of Acts and... Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know the priests were pretty antagonistic to Jesus. But here we see a softening up. We see the work of the Holy Spirit bearing fruit, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. It seems to me from these few verses that we have that the church had a legitimate problem, challenge, difficulty. We don't want anyone to feel excluded. We don't feel, want anyone to feel, well, because I'm not a Judaic Jew, then I don't get what I should be getting. And so the Holy Spirit in His own unique way was able to communicate with these twelve and say, you need to shift, you need to refocus, 
You need to readjust your ministry and the way that you're doing it. We see the same thing with Moses in the Old Testament. Do you remember that? Moses, was, everything was going through the one man, Moses. And hey, the church, the church members were happy for that. God's obviously using Moses. Let him make all the choices and all the decisions. And what happened? The man became overwhelmed. It was too much for him. It was not the best way. It was a way, but it wasn't the best way to do God's work. I want you to think, most of you in this room are Seventh-day Adventists, I want you to think about the way the Seventh-day Adventist church is structured. I want you to think of how we do, well, Pastor, you can't expect me to sort out the world church. No, any more than I expect myself to sort these things out. God, God is the one who sorts these problems out. But think of the way that we do things in the Anderson church, for example, or whatever church you belong to. Do we have a tendency to, to allow everything to filter through the pastor? Um, do we have a, 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 a system where, where he's the one who's doing the service and the rest of us look on from our pew um, at, at what he or she is doing? Are we, do we have a kind of hierarchy in the church that's really impossible to find from the New Testament? Now, I believe that these apostles had tremendous influence but if you're reading these verses carefully, you notice these apostles, they're not dictating what the church should do. It seems to me it would have been pretty easy for them to have done that. They had the clout, they had the power, they'd been anointed by the Spirit, they'd been doing the miracles, the healings, and just amazing things, even the shadow of some of them. People would feel that they could be healed from just getting under the shadow of Peter or later the handkerchief of Paul, or whatever it might be. But they don't function that way. They say to the, the group of disciples, you choose. You choose the seven. And we'll, we'll pray for them, which is, is part of their ministry. Praying, teaching, preaching. We'll pray for them. And then, as God used the seven in one capacity, and He used the twelve in another capacity, then it says the word of God spread. That's good, a good thing. You don't want it to be hemmed in, bottled up. And the disciples increased. That's a good thing. Do you want your church to grow? Do you want your church to be healthy? Do you want your church to be as close as we can get to a biblical model? Do you want your church to have unity? Yes, we want all of those things. Jesus wanted all of those things. God wants all of those things. But notice how the devil in his subtle way can come in and can help us in this particular case to, to lose our focus. So every one of us needs to figure out how we are gifted. And one of our members has been talking about having a spiritual gifts seminar. We've had a number of them uh, since I've been here. So, so maybe that's one approach. I, I would ask you to strongly pray that God uh, lays on your heart what you should be doing for Him. Nothing is, is crazy. Think outside the box. Let the Spirit impress you. I've told some of you before that when I was doing a spiritual gift seminar in, in Sacramento, that there was 
a lady in, in our church who did the spiritual gifts like a questionnaire. Some of you have done that. And scored really high on preaching. She had never preached in her life. And she was probably in her 70s at this time. All right? So you're doing your spiritual gifts quiz. You score high on preaching. And you keep it to yourself. No, she didn't do that. She said, Pastor, Pastor, I've scored high on preaching. What am I going to do with that? And what am I going to say? Preach, lady, preach. And this happened at a church that was where I was not the senior pastor, so I couldn't just put her in the pulpit as I wanted. But I sowed the seed. And God watered it. This lady is circling the world now, preaching the Word of God. And I would imagine she, if her health allows her, she'll probably die preaching the Word of God. And she's willing to invest whatever needs to be invested to get the job done of what God is calling her to do. So apply that in your own situation. Maybe you've been in the church for 10, 20, 30 years and, and you feel that you've made very little contribution. Well, talk to God in prayer in that context and just say, Lord, show me how to be fruitful. Uh, Cecil had some guests at our house uh, some years ago and one of them was a, was a who I would consider a very faithful Seventh-day Adventist and he was getting up there in years and he says, you know, Pastor, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. Now, I'm sure he'd been exercising his spiritual gifts, but he'd never identified his spiritual gifts. And, and, and part of me felt a little bit sad because I felt it's, it's good to kind of know what God wants you to do and just get on with it. And I'm sure he did some of the getting on with it, but not really in a way that he was clear and he was really sure what God was asking him to do. I believe that your Christianity will soar. If you feel that God has anointed you with the Spirit and then you put into effect what the Spirit is telling you to do, I believe your Christian life will, will go into another realm. So we can learn something from these seven little verses. I was so tempted to jump into the life of Stephen, and I kind of held back and didn't want to really jump over these verses uh, because they're in the Word of God for a reason, right? And it's a little corrective. Early in the life of the early Christian church, a little corrective on the part of these leaders of the church, the apostles. And, and yes, we're not apostles, and we're not the seven, but we are disciples of Christ. All of us are disciples of Christ. If we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we've been brought into His kingdom, we are His child, we are His son, we are His daughter. Aren't you glad for your study of Galatians 3 and 4 this morning? I just think it's wonderful, wonderful material. Even though I don't understand all the details there, I still think it's... It's a great message. We are part of God's family and we are inheritors. We're in Christ. What He inherits, we inherit. And when problems arise amongst God's church, God's family, which they always will, then we have, under the anointing of the Spirit, then we have to find ways of trying to resolve those challenges but can never divide the church in that process. Because then when we divide with our complaining, then we find ourselves like the Israelites in the wilderness and a whole generation died there 
Can you think of it worse on that tombstone? I was a griper against God. Now, on my tombstone, I want, uh, he tried to bear fruit or something like that. He was fruitful in his uh, walk with God or words to that effect. Next week, we're going to go full-fledged into the life of an amazing man, Stephen. We're going to look at the life of Stephen from many different angles. He's being introduced to us today as a man of faith, as a man of the Holy Spirit, and as, as a man of wisdom. And we're going to see that this man paid the ultimate price for following Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for this opportunity to gather. Uh, many people are celebrating this uh, quite wonderful holiday, Thanksgiving. Uh, hopefully it's, it's done for the right motivation where we give thanks to you, thanks to one another for all, all of your good gifts to us. And we pray, Lord, that uh, we will learn the lessons of the early Christian church right here at the Anderson Church. Give us this love for one another, this unity, uh, this anointing of the Holy Spirit, and this desire to serve you in whatever capacity you call us to serve you. And it's much better to be a doorkeeper in the house of God. And we're happy, Lord, for whatever you ask us to do. Help us do it faithfully under the anointing of your Spirit. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.